Welcome to Tilth Talk Radio. Today we're going to have a special episode for you. We're doing a, in another interview. So with me today are Bill Schomburg. Hey guys. Todd Schomburg. Hey to all the Tilthies out there. And our special guest, Jeff Polinski. Hey, I'm back. You it's are. Back. And in, in your honor... Daddy of Polinsky Agronomic Consulting and Tilth Agronomy. We got Jeff Polinsky with us today. So down here in beautiful, uh, is it Topton? Yes. Technically, North Western Carolina. North Carolina. In the mountains. So this is, it is beautiful down here. It's it is very like, beautiful. Jeff has explained it to us, but you can't. No. Pictures don't do justice and like any, yeah, explanations do not. It is a... All, all the pictures we've taken down here so far will not translate well to what what the naked eye can see, and that's I can appreciate why you've moved down here. Yep. So we're a few miles from Georgia, a few miles, well, not literally a few miles, but <laughs> a few miles, miles, more than a few miles, to uh, Georgia, to Tennessee, and uh, right in the very far corner, about seven hours from the coast, in the mountains. Peace and quiet. Yeah. <laughs> Until the three of us crashed into <laughs> your life. We showed Until up. I'm responsible for all this. <laughs> there you go. So let's go back to when it started, Jeff. Like, you started Polinsky Agronomic. It was going great. Then, you you know, you hired scouts all along, right? I mean, mm-hmm. it, it starts with essential days, but we're going to start with Polinsky Agronomic. That's the most important part. So... Hired some scouts, hired some full-time. Like, did you have any, like, certain scouts that right away were better? Any crazy scout stories? Any crazy things they did? Like, remember the year where one scout couldn't, like, take air conditioning, but one, like, didn't like the windows down? And it was just, you you just have some interesting, when you get personalities in a truck for a summer, weird things happen. I think we called that hot box summer. Yes. (laughs) So when we started out, we had, you know, basically just one little Tacoma pickup truck and we crammed everybody into the back seat and front seat. And, uh, yeah, it got a little warm at times and, and, uh, we only did one vehicle and we would all, I would drop people off on different fields and then do my fields and come back and get them and then talk over what we learned and then talk it over again with the farmers. And, uh, yeah, it got to be a little more cozy where, you know, it expanded into multiple trucks and then multiple consultants more multiple trucks and uh yeah it moved on from there so i'm thankful and blessed for the for the farmers that i had out there that i worked with for 35 plus years and and the help that i had that made everything work the way it did what would you say was the hardest part about starting your own business you know like todd mentioned you worked for central so you were under someone else's umbrella when you started but then you said hey you know what i'm gonna go out on my own Mm mm-hmm um, I would, I would say the hardest part is always the unknown when you're working with people and, and you're dealing with the public and, and how the public perceives you. And, uh, so I, I tried to live by the old principles that I, um, have always lived with. And that's, um, first number one, be a good listener, um, find out what kind of problems uh, they're facing in the past, what kind of problems that hopefully I can solve. 
And A number one is, um, I always told, especially like some of the older farm, the very older farmers that I worked with was, hey, you know your farm better than I do. I'm coming on your farm for the first time and I'm not here to tell you what to do. I'm here to listen, to learn on things that have worked well for you, things that have not worked well for you, and then and then apply my skills and look and see and then give ideas to you. Sometimes too many ideas um, and not just, well, just tell me what to do. It's just several solutions as to how I can solve a problem or, or what's going on in a, with a particular pest, uh, be it a disease, an insect, a weed, and then seeing what goes from there. But more film, forming more of a team thing where uh, bouncing ideas off of, and then also using the old thing where, hey, this worked on so-and-so's farm. Oh, you're working with them too, yeah. And we had this work, and um, maybe you want to try that too. But developing more of a community thing where um, it, we can we can see what's happening there, and then other farmers looking at us and thinking, why are they doing that? And um, and if we weren't getting that kind of response, then I said, oh, something was wrong because we wanted to be out there doing something new and exciting and trying something different, and and that always went over pretty well. When you started, though, it was there was no other crop consultants out there it was it wasn't as independent you were starting sort of a new thing for that area in wisconsin correct or was there others that you were blazed your path that way no um i'll go way back to when i was in college trying to figure out you know basically what i was going to do for a living and um i was taking agronomy classes and and falling in love with this side of agriculture and i sat in the egg library in madison and and i opened up a book one day a magazine and there was consultants that were doing this for a living down in Georgia and Mississippi. And I said, that is what I want to do. And I worked toward that, took classes, and then later mentored Todd when he was with me and telling him what classes to take that I thought were pretty specific to that. And then when I got out in the fields, um, continuing to learn and continuing to take classes, you know, while I was working during the summertime and different times to uh, improve some of my skills and and learn and then bring some of those ideas. Hey, so-and-so down in Mississippi's trying this or so-and-so up in northern Minnesota is trying this and, and um, you know, giving ideas to think out of the box a little bit and do something different. And it's, you remember it's, what magazine that was or not? What no, was the ma- No. No. It <laughs> might have been like Farm Journal. Okay. It might have been. Because that's um, wild to me of that's how your start was. And that, no, that's a lot that of how was truly my start. very yeah. – can be just this yeah. organic thing you read and go like, whoa, what is this going on? Mm-hmm. And I don't remember what, if it was cotton or if it was peanuts right, or what just they were exactly what it was, but it's just like, now that sounds cool. Because I have always, you know, going to junior high, elementary school, high school, it was always science. I love science and I love farming and I love being outside and working with, with farms and farming practices and, and then be able to bring those things all together and to do this kind of thing. Now, I'm not the father of crop consulting. There's other ones, and that's why I bring those up and trying to learn from them and then meeting actually some of those people later on at some of the meetings actually we're going to go to in the next couple of days to uh, talk to some of those people that now are are, are, are still at it or, or maybe retired and coming to these meetings like I am. So I'm guessing it was peanuts because Jimmy Carter was president, I think, at yes. this time, right? Or, no, I, <laughs> might have been, far back. <laughs> I don't think it was George Washington. Or, yeah. <laughs> no, I, I like, you know, how you talked about where you saw 
your future and, and changing things and adapting to what was happening. And I think that's something even just in the you know last 10 or 12 years, how much things have changed in our job. And you've seen, you know, mm-hmm. 30, 40 years of change. So yep. what, where do you see agriculture going in the next 10 years? What do you think is going to, well, it, it, Matt, I'll step back again a, a little bit. And it's interesting where, when I started out, everybody was mobile plowing and everything was, was black from one end to the other. Um, and then during the winter, we'd get those um, windy days where you'd have soil accumulating in the ditches. And it's like, oh, we're losing all that nutrient, that we, fertilizer we put on or whatever, and it's washing downstream or whatever. And then I, um, I got some people that we're talking about maybe trying some, some chisel plowing or maybe even going to the extreme of no-till and talked to them and, and, and guided them and helped them do that, getting the, the right equipment, the cutting-edge stuff. And mentoring them through that and, and watching that grow was exciting to me. And Till, now, tillage especially is hard. Like you, we've seen it now as we progress from where you were to the next step of tillage of, say, vertical till or yeah. strip till and going to more no-till. And mm-hmm. That's a big jump. Like to go from the moldboard to any jump took a lot of hand-holding and, and, and explaining what you're going to see, right? Very scary, especially yeah. when Dad was still around or even oh, yeah. Grandpa right. was still on the farm. It's like, you're going to do what? Yeah, what are you doing? You, you know, can't. You're we're not gonna, doing that. You know, we worked all our life to try to build this farm up, and you could crash it you're in a couple years because it's not what we used to do. And but, even think of that, like, we didn't see the mobile plows leave these farms. Most of them are still sitting, you know, we just... On a fence sold, line somewhere, yeah, like, yeah. We just sold our mower plow like a year ago, right? Like the one that was there, like they. So that was the part two. Is like you had to beat it out, and that machine didn't leave mm-hmm. the farm. It right. wasn't like, oh, that's going. It's it's still there. Like right. they could hook up to it any time. So the future, um, I am I am very interested now. Don't get me wrong; I haven't lost my mind or you know started to get dementia or whatever. But you know. Um, some of these farms are just fascinating to listen to with this regenerative agricultural thing. And so it's of interest to me. Now, it's, it's not gotten into my head where I think, oh, that's what everybody should be doing. It's just studying what they're doing where they're not applying any fertilizer. What? You know, and I've talked to farmers and we just face this now. We faced huge increases in fertilizer prices and possibly even shortages of fertilizer as, as we get into all the politics that are going on around the world. And so I, I brought it up in the first few of the last few years before I retired. It's like, hey guys, just start thinking about this. What would happen if next year you couldn't get potash, or it was just so high priced mm-hmm. you just couldn't do it? What would you do? What which, would you which do? Which happened last year? It yeah. happened last yeah. year. Yeah. And so this, I I'm fearful that we're going to see possibly as future goes on more and more of that. And so, well, how are you going to handle that? So I started watching some of these farms that were doing this regenerative agriculture with cover crops and different things where they could just get the organic matter to release in the soil and then release that fertilizer that is there. It's just tied up um, due to the chemistry of the soil. And that has fascinated me just to watch it, not to preach about it, but just to watch it and start to study it and and follow up. And and Matt has, I did some mentoring with Matt in the last few years before I I retired that Matt has started um, getting very involved in these watersheds and, and farmers are experimenting with that to see what that will do. And that is the new frontier or the new adventure of, of where they're headed. And that's sort of interesting to me because we all build a farm. You all out there build a farm to hopefully pass down to your children 
and children's 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 children. And you want that farm to be viable. You want it to survive. You need to make money. <laughs> Most importantly, you need to make money today to pay your bills. But you also are very concerned about what you're going to pass on. And, and like any good farmer, you want to always make that farm better than the previous people that were there, be it family members or whoever it was. And um, this is one way to just sort of study that and watch it and maybe even do a little experimenting back on that back 40 to see if you can get something um, moving on that order. Jeff, you one of the things you brought up at one of the last soil health, we were in the soil pit out at Moss Farms, and you had said that back in the day they brought soybeans in as sort of the, like that back in the day was sort of the soil health move yep. to bring in soybeans, and you've seen that. You know, here and guys rotating beans on beans and just, and you've kind of explained at the meeting, like, man, that was something we thought would bring soil health. And in a way it's it was, all, it's created sort of other problems. I correct. mean, it hasn't been necessarily, it's still good to rotate. Right. But it's just wild to me to think of like when you first started, there was, there was no beans no, in rotation. Nobody grew beans. And as you brought it in, you said, like, look at what this is going to do. And what we thought it would really do and what it did is a little different. Like I said, good rotation crop, good to have it there. Right. But as far as soil health, you didn't, did you see any sort of benefits that way or what sort of benefits and negatives did you see as we brought that through your career? The first couple of years were great because here's a new crop that doesn't have pests yet, that haven't found it yet, be it disease, be it insects, be it weeds, um, that are problem weeds. And, um, it was almost a very easy crop to grow that we could make money off of and in some cases make a lot of good money off of. Um, and as we kept perfecting it with fertilizers and making it um, do the things that we would do in, in our old school agriculture, we we really, really survived. But after time, we started realizing we were getting more erosion on those fields and that ground started turning harder and harder because we were putting, when you think about it, less and less organic matter back in the ground. Say what a, what a hay crop does or even with a, a corn grain crop does with all the residue that, you know, that we used to think was good to just bury in the soil. And, and now we want it on the surface to give it more aeration to help the soil breathe a little bit better and, and produce um, earthworms and things that are going to be a healthy, a healthy soil. And, um, Soybeans became one of the most destructive crops, especially for the guys that started making serious money with it and then going beans on beans on beans on beans. And um, I had farmers that were growing beans 12 years in a row, and, well, that was sort of silly. The benefit of beans was that it was that third, fourth, or fifth crop that you grew in that rotation that that really was a good thing. And a lot of farmers did continue to do that in the right way especially on dairy farms where they've got alfalfa in the rotation, they got manure to work with and things, but they're not corn bean, corn bean, corn bean, or just bean, bean, bean. And uh, you can see it after a while. And, and if you're not seeing it, then you're not watching close enough what's really happening to that soil. And that's when we got the problems, right, with soybean yep. cyst and other issues yep. then when we did keep the beans on beans. So it was not, it was a good crop to bring in, but at some point, we need to rotate out of that crop too. And how many farms that we talked to where virgin beans are their best beans they've ever grown on the farm. And right. it's gotten sort of worse since then. And you just go, man, why, why can't we recreate that? Right. And I'm a big believer in a roundup. I, I am like a champion for, for spraying roundup. Roundup has been so good for us. It's, it's really, really helped. And I, 
I get upset with some of these lawsuits and things that have come up with it, and I, I don't quite understand it because I, I believe when it's used safely, it's, it is the product to use. But but when we get into these years and years and years and years of soybeans, too many years where we're just spraying Roundup, 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 that isn't good for Mother Nature always wins. You know, she's going to figure out a way to get around us, and she's going to get Roundup-resistant weeds, which we've gotten, um, and then promote other kinds of issues that, that go on. And, and we've seen it happen. So it, it's multiple crops. Um, beans are great, but you have to you have to get them in the rotation properly. So, Aside from, you know, cropping, rotation, some of that stuff, the, the aspects of how this job has changed in your career have to be enormous because, I, <clears throat> like I said, I, I think about the last 10, 12 years and some of the leaps and, and changes that we've made in how we manage things. But what what would you say has changed the most that surprised you since you started? Is it, you know, the how farmers are farming the land or is it more how we as consultants interact with the farms? Well, when I first started, um, I'll show my, my serious age here. We had international 56 planters. We had the old John Deere's and, and just planning technology has gotten so intense and so precise. And when we can adjust, make adjustments that truly happen then in the field of up to a, you know, a quarter inch depth and uniform depth placement, um, that has been phenomenal. And then you can get really wild and talk about, you know, some of the satellite technology we've done and some of the drone stuff that we've used in scouting and um, even get into some of the future from now where we're getting into, um, what do they call it, science, um, machine learning, Mm -hmm. where um, you can send a drone across the field and the drone can identify what weeds are there or what insects or diseases. And we've started to branch into that as a company. And um, that's exciting. And um, it's just going to blow you away. And I think in the next five years, 10 years, what what's out there for science and how we can apply it to to agriculture. Think about that corn planter and what the farmer had in the cab back in the 80s, 90s, 90s. The monitor was, it was a, a light, light, right? That yeah. just said it's planting or not planting. <laughs> and like now there's like three monitors. They got three screens that are all telling them different, beeping them at different times. Trinkets. And it's like, I mean, they've got about the same tech as what the Apollo mission <laughs> to the moon had. Now, yeah. You know, and what they were flying with before was just, yeah, was not, you know, you're just were you planting or not, and there was no good there was definitely is, no precision. Good there. news back then is if if GPS went out or anything like that, you could still plant because <laughs> yes, you didn't could. have GPS. Right. You just plant. What do I do now? Still got the marker. Right. Was singulation even in your vocabulary when you started? Um, no. <laughs> no, it was just hoping to get the corn in the ground and and get the job done. Yeah. How many skips and doubles and yeah. triples? Right. Exactly. Well, we were just, Bill and I were talking about that last episode of triples. Like, we haven't seen a triple. Oh, God. I haven't seen a triple in like five years. Right. And like, when I first started, Jeff, like, it was common. Yes. You know, like, that wasn't, right. it was normal to see three So seeds the amount shot. of seed that was wasted. Right. And the amount of of uh, crop that we lost per square foot or, or whatever was, was pretty uh, phenomenal. And now yields have increased dramatically. And, People need those kind of yields because with these prices on fertilizer right. and inputs costs um, land, it's not an option. You've got to you've got to have that yield. Do you so, got any good? 
I just remember a story where I swear you filled a planter for a guy that may or may not have had an IV in his arm while <laughs> he was Not the planter. Planting. The farmer had the IV. Yeah, farmer had the IV in. <laughs> and yeah. <laughs> I could go on for an hour so here plan- about the intensity. We're talking planters. We're talking planters. How um, farmers are intense. And um, I've had people fall out of silos or fall down in 60 feet into a silo, climb up out of the silo, haul two loads of manure before they tell their wife that they need to go to the hospital, that they've got a, a broken back in a couple of spots. <laughs> or spinal, farmers that spinal. have actually, like you said, an IV in their arm because they just got out of the hospital after some surgery or whatever, and they're going to go plant 60 acres tomorrow. They weren't. They weren't. That is And Jeff's the phone call they make to say, hey. um, Can you bring a couple more bags out for me? I I just can't move anymore. (laughs) It's like, (laughs) what are you doing out there? But, I mean, and then that shows the dedication to what the American farmer does to our public that doesn't really appreciate farmers like they should is, is the responsibility that they take to to get their job done and yes it's for their family but ultimately it's for the american public so and like you say sac like the word sacrifice the word like just just utter i mean they're some of these are putting their health on the line yes to get the farming part done almost the line where you go what do you what do you do do you probably just stop some guys literally of like no, you shouldn't wear a breeder glove over an IV in your arm <laughs> and do this, but yep. I'm going to let you do it, and then you better stop after yep. that. So yeah, Or the guy in the 75-cow stanchion barn that was up and down every day, mm-hmm. every day of his life, and, and what his body looks like yeah. now, that knees guy from the and 70s. Knees that and back and they're what just that shot. does. Yeah. You know, and he's had knee replacements, hip replacements, um, shoulder replacements from putting... Uh, um, uh, different old, you know, all the different advancements we've had in the, in the barn. Um, it's, it's pretty phenomenal. You know, what an American farmer has done and we've, for the public that doesn't get the appreciation that they really should. No. So, and what you're right about to what you've seen out in the field, but even what you've seen in barns from when you yep. started to, when you're talking big, when you started was 80 cow stanchion. I mean, you probably, 50, there was some freestyle. 40, 50. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Was the norm. And, you know, as you saw the freestyle barn coming and the way we stored manure yep. change and just that was a very... And nobody likes change. I mean, everybody I wants to see, see that red, red barn, barn yet and those yeah. red barns are disappearing. And I always said, you know, someday I just need to spend a day and go out and take pictures of all those red barns because five, 10 years, 15 years, 20 years from now, you're going to have to drive hundreds of miles to find one and it, it's all stanched. There's something sad about that. But we need to keep changing. We need to keep advancing. I, we need to keep applying new science. Um, that, because that is a tough part. You survive. You're right. Of how do we keep the nostalgia and know that that was a good thing, right? But keep progressing forward to. But it's to also show. going to allow the next generation to be viable. Right? Yes. Right. Like yep. to be competitive in the marketplace is to allow, unfortunately, those red barns to be abandoned for new. Let's be real with those red barns. They did not, there is no other, like they are perfect for that one use of keeping hay up in the mow, cows down below. And we've seen them repurposed to machine sheds and wedding bar, wedding bar. Yeah. Which that that that, seems to be the biggest. (laughs) That seems to work really well. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But the re like the reuse of them, like, man, were those built for such a specific, the technology in that barn was pretty amazing too. Yeah, it was. It was. 
So you you started out kind of on your own, literally, I'm sure. You were probably scouting and, mm-hmm. and doing a lot, but eventually you had to deal with employees mm-hmm. like the three of us who I'm sure <laughs> caused you some headaches and other things at you. different times. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> right. Yeah, we all know Matt was one of the... I, th- I think that's why I'm, I'm asking the question. But uh, So in dealing with em- employees over the years, is there something that, that stands out at, as far as, you know, whether it's the weirdest thing that's happened or your favorite sto- scouting story? Like what is... What really stands out to you from from your years in the field of some of the better stories? Oh boy, <laughs> um, so many. I, I yeah, there there is there is a lot of them. I I think one thing you know on a serious matter, I guess we we worked at especially as the team grew is to really look at yourself and um, analyze what kind of personality do you have? What kind of personality does Jeff have? What kind of personality does? does Bill or Todd or, or Matt have? And, you know, when, when we'd hire help, um, we'd go to universities and we'd interview and try to get the best people because those people represented us on the farm to the farmer. And, and we really didn't want to get them, but we had to get them to get all of our work done. And well, did we keep growing when maybe we should have stayed small? Well, no, because our farms were growing too. So we had to grow with them. And so it wasn't a choice. But when we'd hire them, we, we didn't want somebody that was very analytical and maybe a little bit slower to make decisions with somebody that was just a wide open uh, bull in the china shop kind of personality. And, and the, both those personalities work great on a farm um, for scouting and for walking uh, walking fields and dealing with farmers. Um, but um, that had to be a number one because we spent a lot of time in the truck. Um, our typical day was, is generally 530 in the morning till sometimes seven thirty, eight thirty, nine o'clock at night till, you know, sun up to sundown and sometimes, you know, seven days, six days a week. And, um, you spend a lot of time together and, um, you got to make sure you don't kill each other. So, <laughs> and um, some of those yeah. scouts struggle with, they want to know what time are we going to be done today? Right. And it was like, we yes. might be done at yes. five. It might be eight. You know, there was no, so for them too, that was kind of a weird, it's like I, I had the, a good, analogy from a farm said like well, they asked me like what your onboarding process is for these scouts and get it's like the they just get in the truck and they're like oh like just get on board and we're going like <laughs> yeah. it was there was no there's <laughs> no onboarding it's just like hey we're just hey ride with me yep. we'll walk fields together we'll teach and like jeff you were very good at doing that of being patient enough to teach you know scouts what to look for what and right. know like they aren't getting this at time, you know, like, Hey, th- their numbers aren't matching nine, something ain't quite right. And just knowing when to kind of jump in there and help them and, mm-hmm. and sort of nudge them along, which right. had to be tough sometimes. It was, and you mentioned the word analogy well, analogy would be is um, way back when, when you had that old, old school f- um, doctor that you saw and that doctor would spend a lot of time with you in, in the room you know, going over your test results or going over, you know, where you were at. And nowadays you get pushed through pretty fast. And it, it's important to keep that attitude on the farm where you're there to listen and you're there to, to talk to your farmer and, and really get a good feel for what he's seen because he's got another set of eyes that sometimes, and, and that's one thing I always preached is that it's very easy when you're walking a field to just keep your head down and look, you know, as you're walking. And, and sometimes you got to, 
you got to put your head up a little bit. And as a farmer, you got to get out of your truck and, and get in the field and you got to walk a little bit and you got to, you know, got to see what's going on and, and, um, watch that crop and talk to it and, and see what's, what's happening with it. And, um, if you're just sort of hurrying along and driving by and saying, well, everything looks green or you're, you're walking the field and you're, you're just making a beeline across it to get your day done so you can get home at five o'clock or whatever. And that's the one thing we preached to our scouts was that, Hey, I'm, I'm really sorry. You're in this now and um, you're going to learn. And one of the big things is, yeah, you're going to make money and we're going to pay you well because of the amount of hours you work, especially, but you're going to learn and you're here to learn and we're going to teach you. And by the end of the year, you're going to understand. It's almost like a boot camp kind of thing where um, it's, it's a long, long day. And yeah, farmers run a long day. Most of the time we run a longer, a longer like day. Especially May, June, July. Is it? Well, we don't come in for lunch. We just keep going to eat your sandwich while you're walking or, or whatever. And well, sometimes we stop to, you know, catch our breath. But um, it's, think, think of if the boot camp started in August, Jeff, when corn was like ooh. tasseling and pollinating. <laughs> no yes. one would come like, back this no, second that's, day. That's why it's a weird boot camp too. It's like, oh, we start, you can ride four wheelers at the beginning of this boot camp. And it, it does progress to like, by the end, you're walking, pollinating fields, looking for bugs, and guys are like, oh, my God, I'm glad this is done in two weeks. And, I'm, yeah. you know, some people are Everybody thinks happy. it's the greatest job in the world at the beginning where you're riding four-wheelers all over, and sometimes the farmer's on the porch looking and going, are those guys out there just having fun? You know, what is going on out there, you know, as we're getting off then now and then and checking the corn depths or making sure everything's germinating properly and, and such. But, yeah, then you run into the days where um, – the corn about maybe waist high and it's soaking wet in the morning and, and it is 85 degrees outside already. And you just, you're tired of wearing rain pants. So you just get soaked and you, you're just wet all day. And to the point where, like you said, corn's over your head, it's pollinating. You try putting uh, Kleenex up your nose. You're putting goggles on wearing goggles and um, a dust mask. Exactly. Which that, like through COVID, we couldn't get like, because we use kind of the COVID <laughs> masks, like the N85 ones sometimes, or whatever, N95, thank yeah. you, man. And we use those for pollen, and it's like, even through that, it's like we couldn't get them, and it was brutal. Yeah, it's just different. I will tell a funny story about Todd. I will put him <laughs> on the, while yeah. we're on that topic. Yes. So one day I put Todd in a, in a field, and it, it's up over Tordonida, and um I did my fields and I come back and here's Todd coming out of the field and he's laughing and I said, what's going on? He said, well, you'll never believe what's going on. And I had seen this very high speed helicopter that was flying around through the sky and it was circling where Todd was at for a while as I was coming. And Jeff, if you don't remember, like, the cops were there. You had to break me out. Oh, that's true. They were there already. <laughs> yeah. You yeah. weren't leaving if Jeff no, wasn't going like, to vouch for I you. I was waiting for Jeff to pick me up because, yeah, it, it got it got real. So Todd went in this field. The corn's over his head. He's got, got he's got um, like, what do you call them? Shop glasses Shop, on. Yeah. So that he's not getting pollen in his eyes. He's got Kleenex up his nose. He, he looks I like somebody. Wearing socks on my arms Wings. so I don't get like, yeah, cause, all yeah, the, the cuts, cuts on from, your arms. Yeah. Walking so through lie. the cornfields, you're constantly getting little paper cuts all over your arms and stuff. And he comes out of the field, and there's Secret Service agents there and police officers. And they, they told him he has so many minutes to leave or he's going to be in the back of the squad car. It's like, what is going on? Well, what happened was is George Bush, President George Bush, was making a surprise visit to Oneida Nation Police Station to give them some kind of award for what they have done. 
And um, Todd happened to be in the field that next to the police station, and they wanted to make sure he wasn't any kind of terrorist. So <laughs> Those, I had a choice there. <laughs> yeah, in jail no, at that point, like and yeah, then Jeff, Jeff turned around, yeah, and drove away. He's like, nope, not dealing with this. <laughs> I don't this. know this guy. Nope, never saw I him don't before know. in my life. It's even weird. In this, <laughs> no, story doesn't make sense. No, and that was what the. Like that helicopter obviously had some sort of heat seeking, correct? You know, camera, infrared cameras, and could like, it like picked me out and like just lower surrounded and like. There's a guy like, lurking in that yeah, field right, over here, like, and, and I walked out, and then yeah, the cops like, what What are you doing? And so I'm they, explaining. Did the helicopter say like? Did they? No, say they they didn't do? voice down to me, which would have been cool. I guess. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't it think just, it would have been. It's cool. just they like got really low and made it known that, that they yeah saw that they you. saw me and i'm like okay i know where the road is so i just got out and did sort of the walk of shame up to the <laughs> to the officers that were standing there and they said the secret service found you and you're just going like okay i did, like i'm just looking at corn am i get you know is that against the law now i, <laughs> I swear understand. i'm not counterfeiting yeah Luckily, Jeff wasn't far because, yeah, that would have been bad if he would have been a yeah. busy or not. Yeah. And, he and I would have been waiting. Where is he? Where is he? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Meanwhile, he's in the police station. <laughs> right. Maybe I would have made, maybe I would have met George what, Bush. What call would you have if you had one call then? Would you call Jeff? Or? I did call him, yeah. yeah? That was okay. my call. Right. <laughs> yeah. Phew. Yeah. Good thing I answered. Good thing I had reception. <laughs> yeah, especially in Oneida. So, yeah, there's, there's a lot of fun stories about that, um, different scout stories, but that's the one that comes to mind right now. So, Well, I, I, I don't want to misquote, but I believe it was one of your daughters who have worked with you over the all years. All three did, right, Jeff? Yeah, all three did, and, and that was good because, you know, being a, trying to be a good dad and, and try to be home for the kids, um, it was difficult in this job because we are gone some pretty long hours, and to have them be able to work with you, experience it, to maybe gain a, a quite a bit of of good um, work ethic, um, learn how farmers work, and learn a re- appreciation for them. But also, you know, here's what Dad does, and, and um, um, I think they they did enjoy it and, and such. But we did have an incident where um, <laughs> I, I again one of these days where the corn is over your head and. Um, I had one of my middle daughter actually in her full rain gear um, walk the field um, for me. And I said, now it's going to be a while because I've got to go around a couple of woods and it's my field is a little bit further. You know, just take your time, put your headphones on. When you get done with the field, just come back and sit in the corn. I don't want you on this road because it's a secluded area. And who knows what kind of crazy people are driving by or whatever, or they're, what they're going to think with some girls standing along the road. Stay in the corn a little bit, and then I will I'll get my field done as quick as I can and as early as I can, and then come back and, and find you. Well, I didn't know what was going on, but um, I picked her up. We pulled into a, a, a gravel pit where we met up with the other trucks that were doing the scouting on the farm. And, and you normally we, meet at the gravel pit, right? Like that's correct. Oh, normal, yeah, that was yeah, normal. normal like, area. I pulled up with – I was in the second truck with Jeff. He rolls – which said it's a gravel pit is just awesome. Because <laughs> <laughs> so it was kind of this, like, secluded, like, middle of nowhere kind of sand gravel pit yep. where Jeff and I, you know, okay, we're going to go through the – you know what we saw and kind of finish up the report. Yeah. So we, we all carried laptops in our truck and, um, and luckily we had the technology in our, our vehicles at the time where we could plug them in right into the, into the truck. And we'd type up our report on what we saw and 
try to be detailed so the farmer could look over what we saw in the field. And then uh, maybe as, as they're driving by or maybe walking, a lot of our farmers walk the fields themselves. Um, so to double check, oh, that's what that is, or that's what they, or they were in this field. They did see what was going on. So we're typing that up. And as I'm typing, I look up and oh, oh, there's a Shano County police officer you know, just drove by what's, what's going on. Oh, there's an Outagamie County police officer. What, what's going on? And all of a sudden we had three squad cars in the, uh, sand pit with us. And, um, they were calling my daughter over to them and they wanted to know what was going on because like I said, I, I didn't know at the time what was happening, but here in the house that was overlooking that field, I had just dropped her off in the lady had, um, gotten up, for her normal routine of getting her coffee and sitting at the kitchen table. And she looked and, and saw this girl in the field um, with a rain suit on and, and just sort of rocking out with her music and her head was bobbing. And, and she swore that there was somebody that beat this girl, threw her out into <laughs> the field. And now she was sobbing and crying. And, and uh, she so wasn't she called an actual, no, she, she wasn't was rocking, rocking out. She was crying. She was, according she to was this rocking lady. out. Exactly. So, um, and then also in the same truck that threw her out, came back and picked, picked her, her up. up. Yep. So I was like, <laughs> what's going on? What's going on here? So they put out a, what do they call that? A, a band or APB. APB. Yeah. Whatever they, they do. And then, um, <laughs> so the, the police had a lot of questions for my daughter. And then, what was um, crazy is they didn't, they wouldn't talk to any, any of the rest of us. Like it was like, you will stay in these trucks and you young lady with the hood come with me sure. and and she wasn't in a good mood at this point because <laughs> she'd been tired of people she, stopping along the road going hey are you okay. out catching butterflies today or yeah you know when we're carrying a sweep net looking for insects or or whatever and uh, so she was she was probably not in a good mood to be talking to the police officers and uh, you know i don't understand what this is about or whatever well, then Finally, an explanation came by, and then the police weren't too happy either, and they were doing their job, which is great. Um, but um, it was just a big misunderstanding, and, and you know, it was good once once they talked to her, they talked to me, they talked to Jeff, and then you could see the like relief. in their eyes of like, like this. There's this is nothing, nothing you know, here. like this we, is a norm. Like we had Polinsky stickers on the truck. We, uh, you know, yeah. they they knew then. It was, okay, this. This isn't some sort of weird yeah. ring going down or anything. But well, and despite events like that, I don't remember which daughter it was, but I believe it was one of your daughters that, the that one. said, I know as, one you're do. <laughs> as a testament, I think, to who you were as a father and a mentor to a lot of us, is if you think your job is hard, you should come work for my da- with my dad for the day. Yeah. we have um, My oldest daughter um, works on the East Coast, and um, East Coast people are a little different than Midwest people in... Um, little more rougher and she ran into a situation where the girl in the cubicle next to her um was swearing at her boss and they got into a big argument and the the boss went and slammed the door and my daughter just sat and looked at her you know sort of in horror it's like you you would not get by with that in the midwest you wouldn't get by that in a farming community you you treat your boss with some respect or whatever and and then yeah she made that comment that uh it wouldn't last very long with my father because he's old school. <laughs> he wouldn't have handled that. But another funny one was, too, with with that same older daughter is um, I had three girls working with me that year as a scout, and we were in that small truck that we talked about here at the beginning of the of the tape. And we feel like that's your favorite truck ever. Yeah, it was. Um, 
And it, there's something about, you know, like the country music songs, living in, growing up in a small house and, you know, being a little closer, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. It's, it's, it's fun. But um, this is a little more funny story. Maybe not at the time, <laughs> but um, I dropped um, her off and this, this older daughter in a, in a field and she did that, that field. And then I went down and dropped another girl off on, a, on another field and then the third one. And then I did a field like I usually would and then come back and circle and get them and we're headed back to the farm and all of a sudden there's um, a squad car behind us with its lights on and a guy that come a police officer that came out and he was not happy and I'm getting out of the car. He goes, stay there. And I said, so what did I do? It was, I didn't think I was speeding. I didn't run any stop signs or what, what is going on? And he goes, Hey, I, I don't know what's going on here, but I saw you drop a girl on this corner and a girl on that corner. And I started laughing. Because I understood what he was getting. Where he was going. The first one was my daughter, buddy. And then, then he got really mad and he put his hand on his gun. And I, I go, wait, 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 slow down. I said, this is, you know, this is not what you think. And he goes, I explained what was going on. And he goes, and like you just mentioned, the air went out of him a little bit. And he went, oh, my gosh. He goes, you know, normally I, I have a, a bead, if that's what you call it, in the city. He goes, and they had me out here in the country <laughs> for my first time, and there's some strange stuff going on. Oh, the word stuff instead of the S word. And, and um, so, you know, we at the end, we had a little bit of a chuckle with it, but at, at the beginning, no, it was especially not in the middle there, funny. you're probably going, like, what are you accusing me of? Some kind of prostitution <laughs> ring or yeah, something. Yeah. And so, just very strange. gun on me. Yes. Exactly. So, how many incidents? of oh, a lot cop of inter- interaction yeah. did you have? And you guys can add some of the animal <laughs> stories. I mean, we can go on for hours I, about animal stories. And, you know, we start telling some of our farmers about that. It's like, why aren't you guys carrying sidearms with you and whatever? And we thought about it, but you have some people like to shoot some things sometimes that we probably shouldn't. And, and so it's like, you know, maybe that's not a good idea either. But we've had bears with people flying across the field to get a, that black bag that's going in there so it doesn't get in the hay binder. Um, or some kind of harvest equipment, whatever, and then all of a sudden that bu- that big black bag gets up and stands on all back <laughs> legs, and no, that's about a 400-pound bear, and then the four-wheeler quickly swirls around the other way, and we've had, uh, Bill, you can talk about that real quick, about the instances way up north with the uh, the little, little doggies that Puppy came dogs. out. Puppy dogs, yeah, yeah, we had a scout that um, just, we're like north of Krivitz, middle inlet, like, Masaki, you know, boondocks and farthest field that I would have had to the east, northeast, way up there, put a scout on a field. I think it was soybeans. He was just driving around and all of a sudden he saw a little puppy in the field and then saw another little puppy in the field and they kept coming up to him and waves. Yeah. And then a third puppy and he's like, oh, that's, you know, kind of odd. This is getting strange. Right. And then like literally a couple minutes later, he's driving and. And he sees Mama Wolf just bounding right over the fence line, right at him. And the unfortunate part is he was like all by himself. So no one else can verify that this story was actually real. <laughs> but knowing where it was, and I believe him because he was pretty white when I picked him up. He got back to the back to the road, and I think she gathered her little pups, and they they went off, but. I worry more about wolves than I do bears, really. Yeah. I mean, I had an encounter with a bear, too, and you just kind of scare them and they run. Right. But some of those animals hunt in packs, and, and I had a, a very burly, tough 
guy that maybe on a little ed, uh, scout was a little bit chauvinistic even at times and thinking this is a man's world kind of thing and just you know just a sort of a tough guy and we started out in the morning and I put him in a field again the corners over his head and um, he was in the field and I came back and um, came back to the car and and I said, hey, what's the matter? And he, because you, you're just white. He goes, I've never been so scared in my life. I said, what? You're, you're in a 10-acre field. What, what could scare you? <laughs> he goes, I was halfway in the field, and I heard something behind me. And you, you hear things in corn, and some people get very claustrophobic and nervous in there, especially scouts the first time. But this guy had been around a while with me. And um, then he heard something in front of him, and pretty soon he realized it was a pack of coyotes, and they thought he was a deer. Mm. And there was at least 12 of them, and they had circled him, and they were moving in, thinking they had an easy kill of a deer. And then they realized he was a human, and they took off. But, um, yeah, that was that was very scary to, to this gentleman at the time. And he remembers that, yeah, and I do too. And it's like, oh, I would feel really bad if something happened to one of my scouts telling their, their parents, you know, what had happened. and. Yeah. Feeling yeah. responsible for that. Yeah, I had to fight a pack of coyotes today, Mom. And <laughs> yeah. Then a wolf pup came at me. And <laughs> what's the weirdest thing? Kept putting me out in more fields. <laughs> yeah. That's the weirdest thing a scout ever did. I I have a couple in my mind that I think. But what what do you feel is the the oddest scout you've had or oddest thing they would do? Well, we have one uh, consultant that's still on staff. Actually, is an owner right now, <laughs> and uh, he used to get bored. When he got done with his fields, while he was, well, everybody got bored while they were waiting for me because I'd get a phone call and then get delayed and then come back. And then he's scouting the neighbor's fields because he's bored. And it's like, <laughs> hey, they're not paying for this. <laughs> and they're probably a little mad that you're trespassing <laughs> across their field. Just sit still, relax. You know, and so, you know, those were always interesting ones to just slow down. Just now, you're okay. Now, didn't you have one that would uh, take a nap on the side of the road, like lay down in the shoulder? Oh, yeah. Yeah, and then come back and, and sit in the again in that small truck with the two girls on each side of him full of ticks and oh. crawling all over everybody in there. And um, yeah, that was that was always exciting and people screaming and You'd one that would sleep in the truck but then or like rest somehow, but then run the field. Yeah. Like lit like this sort of weird, yeah. you know, polarity between like you know, you just be like, Hey, go do this and just out the door, just giving her ready to go. Like. Our best scouts always were, of course, the the farm kids because they had the best work ethic and they had the most understanding of, of just what was going on. And so there was a lot less training that we needed to do and we could really get into the science with them and uh, teaching them what they needed to do. But some of the athletes that we hired were also good where they were sort of training for the football team or the wrestling team or whatever. I know you always thing. liked cross country runners or yeah. track. Some of those were, were fun because they, they like to really do a good job of thoroughly scouting things, but then also getting in a good workout. And yeah. And some of them weren't morning people and <laughs> they would sleep a little bit in between fields or drives, which sometimes were a little bit of a lengthy thing, but you know, when you woke them up, they were ready to go, and 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 that was good. Did you have any supernatural encounters while you were oh, out scouting? Great. Okay, you're gonna bring that up <laughs> live on the this, air. Thank you, Matt. This goes back. I believe Max actually threw that one in there. Yeah, which, he probably. Did. Yeah, because he knew that story better. And yes, so I, this may have been this may have been just a warm individual walking a field with full rain gear on about 11 o'clock corn still wet and um 
and, and seeing something that really wasn't there. But um, why did you bring this story? <laughs> this is embarrassing to talk about. So we, I was walking a field by myself, and um, you get that. You got a, it's like a hazy, cloudy morning. Hazy, right? cloudy I mean, morning, and normal early. Wisconsin weather, very calm in the morning. And then about 10 o'clock, the wind starts picking up. And as you're walking corn, it starts swaying around you. And as you're walking it, you got you to gotta keep your eyes focused because um, you get a little dizzier at the time where, where everything's moving around you, but you got to keep a straight line. Well, that wasn't the problem. The problem was as the wind came up and it got more intense, I started seeing colors. And I saw red, and then I saw blue, and those colors were spread all across. And then they came together, and there was a Civil War soldier standing there um, with me. And then he was frightened, and it must have been a ghost from what I saw. And he was carrying a musket with him and whatever thing, and then he and then he just disappeared. Well, I t- mistakenly told a couple people in the truck, and then they were <laughs> laughing at me and giving me a hard time. Well, we went back to the farm, and um, we... Of course, they had to bring it up right away. For the, the farm, right. Just yeah. to no, they're going to be like, yeah, go. the bus. <laughs> you know, so they're laughing about that, whatever, and the farmer didn't crack a smile. And they're like, like uh-oh. Like, uh-oh. And then I said, so, Mark, what's going on? And he goes, well, he goes, there's stories about that field. There was a guy that came back from um, the war, and um, he had gone down to tender the bees, the bees down there, and... Um, Somehow the the bees got around him and started stinging him, and he actually died in the field from bee stings. And you may have seen him. People, other people have There's seen him. Other claims that okay, I'm not it. <laughs> and they didn't say anything more, but until Matt's brought this up, yeah, so now you haven't Jeff's thought about it. The story. It was Todd's idea. I swear. <laughs> I believe Max wrote that one. Have you told Max that story? Well, you know? it's just down the road from where Max grew up. Grew up, right. Grew so up that's why. Yep, that would be I, why he... Uh, I honestly feel like it's more of that stuff. Like, why doesn't more of that stuff happen to us? We're in the middle of these gigantic fields. Like, not that we're going to see ghosts, but just... Alien encounters or what? I don't know. Like, Crops. I, what I, I would think is weird is over the last... In, We've got stickers on our trucks now. We're very, you know, and we've tried to be professional all the way through. I'm not saying that's different, but those encounters have changed quite a bit or have become less and less, like of animal encounters of police officer encounters of other people. You guys will, if I can interject really quick here, um, you guys will agree with this one is um, when you're going down some of these side roads, these back roads, and especially nowadays with some of these freaky murders and things that happen, you're, you're just always worried you're going to find somebody in a ditch somewhere. You're going to, something happened. And, um, so you're, you're walking hay fields and alfalfa fields in the springtime are fun to walk and they're just beautiful and they don't get really tall. So you can just wear your high boots and you're walking across them. They're wet. And all of a sudden, you run into a, a, <laughs> a fawn that mm-hmm. a mother goat has yeah. tried to hit in the field, and you yeah. hit it, and then it moves, and it feels like a human body that is right. there, and you, you sort of freak out a little bit. Um, the worst I've had is when the turkeys bed down. Oh, yep. And they'll stay till the absolute like till you very last step millisecond until no. you step on them, and no, then like, they just whoosh out at you, and it's like... Oh my, that like, that's the most scared, like startled I've been. Before yeah. I even was a employee at TILF, <laughs> I was with Todd and yes. we were up in Door County 
and the rear scouting. It was Todd and Nathan shared a farm at that time. A good day. And uh, well, we were supposed to be on vacation, but Todd had to work. I'm like, well, I'll come with okay. you. Let's, you know, I'll help you out. Whatever they get done faster, make our wives happier, and we can you know go do something fun. <clears throat> so we go out, and Todd's like, yeah, just walk this hay field, and you know, check for buds and all this other stuff. And so I'm walking this hay field and walking along, and <clears throat> yeah, first thing. I do is almost step on a turkey and it just flies up right in front of me. And yeah, I had to stand there for a couple seconds. Like, okay, go home and change your pants. (laughs) Yeah, that's (laughs) about it. Because like you, like you said, Bill, they they wait till the last second and then it, yeah, just took off. Right. Is that the day we saw the porcupine down the the road too? Yeah. Where you just saw, (laughs) luckily that wasn't in the field. That was more like, we treat a porcupine when we met up with Nathan (laughs) and, and Jake. We were up there at the time. And did it shoot its quills at you? <laughs> it did not, but it was like, it was the funniest thing because we were standing, it was like in a field, long field driveway or something or a few, and this thing, this porcupine just kind of rumbling down the driveway, like booking it. Like, yeah. I don't know what scared it. It wasn't us, but it was running at, at us, us. <laughs> instead of oh, away no. from us. Yes. Oh, no. And yeah, like it kind of, then it kind of saw us. It got well, at first it looks like a cat or you're yeah, like, right. what is coming? And then also you're like, Oh, okay, this is a porcupine. Yeah. I mean, we got a, and it ran up a tree. Straight, yep. And we were like kind of looking at it, and I think Nate was trying to provoke it a little bit. <laughs> Shocking. As, as he was wont to do at times. <laughs> yeah. But the other thing scary is, is in tall corn when uh, deer get deer, spooked. Yeah. yeah. And they don't know what you are because yeah. you're blending in with all the corn stalks. And then they come barreling down that row at about 80 miles an hour and... Um, if you get run over by one, you're, it's not going to feel good. Yeah, especially a buck, you could die. You know, so you you just have to you have to continue to again keep your head up sometimes and and watch what's going on. At least what they seem to be spooked away. Like I've had it where like the farm dog or a oh, yeah. random dog, but most time it is the farm dog. All of a sudden you're walking in tall corn and something licks you on your hand. Yeah, you know as you and you're like, it comes up with that cold nose. Right, and, you know, and it gets you in the in the back <laughs> of the knee. It's like what the hell? What the hell? <laughs> like I've had it where. I, Come or, you know, and most of those dogs are the friendliest dogs oh, yeah. ever. And they just, hey, what are you doing out yeah. here? And they look forward to you coming every Tuesday yeah. at 3 o'clock <laughs> yeah. or whatever. Todd had a bad experience with a Great Dane once. And that was... I've had enough dog encounters <laughs> more than... I'm trying to even think the Great Dane one. That was... We were up by Shano, and I was on the phone with you. And it was a, a pair of fields for a... There was a guy that did custom harvesting. He had fields kind of all over the place, and so we'd scout all over and talking on the phone and all of a sudden you're like, ah, ah, <laughs> and like, are you, are you okay? Like what's going on? Like, do, should I turn around and come get you? Like, like, oh no, you know that really big dog that's at the house? Like, yeah, yeah. It just snuck right up behind me. <laughs> and like a great Dane doesn't, you know, most dogs will get you by the knees. That got me like <laughs> yeah, in face, the neck, yeah. basically. You <laughs> oh, no. know? I was like, what the hell? Yeah. Wow. Crazy. Mm-hmm. But yeah, obviously you've you've had a lot of experiences over the years, and is there anything else that you mainly trying to walk fields and identify weeds, insects, diseases, yeah. <laughs> and, and help the farmer out? Not not uh, share stories here, but <laughs> no. Um, sometimes uh, we have things that happen. So go ahead. I'm sorry, man. No, I was just going to ask if there's anything else you can think of over all your years of consulting and, and doing everything else that that really stands out to you is whether it's something you're proud of or something that you think is interesting about how, how our job really works. And yeah, no, I guess the satisfaction at the end of the year, when you're riding in the combine, you're riding in the chopper, 
um, um, you're riding on the hay bind, you're, you're, you're seeing some of the results that are going on. And, and a lot of it is just good weather, good moisture, good heat, and those kinds of things. But there's also the years where um, we have the 1988 drought where we didn't have a single field over waist high. Everything dried up and died at that height and just trying to keep farmers attitude and worrying that uh, right and then uh, making sh- and just worrying all the time that because there was people on the edge of just losing it because they were they were losing their crop they didn't have feed for their cattle and there was no feed to find anywhere for quite a few miles and and just trying to keep them them positive through the whole thing and then remembering that it's like you didn't do a damn thing for me this year <laughs> but you at least had a good attitude and you helped us along and you know, from a mental standpoint that, uh, you know, we, we all made it through it together. And, and Those years got to be wild to think of how much in general, some just, you don't, re- you know, you like 2002, you don't probably remember, but 84 and 93, I feel like was a 93, was, you was know, the corn sat in the ground for, I think like nine weeks. And so we kept calling the, the university, Hey, what's the longest you've ever seen corn? Just cause we'd keep checking it and it was alive. Barely, but it was alive. It still had endosperm in it. It was germinated, but it wasn't growing because it was cold and it was wet and it just wasn't coming, wasn't coming. And then the farmers were like, well, we're going to rip that up. It's like, well, you can't get out there anyway. The field's too wet. Okay, well, I got to do something. It's like, you have to wait. You have to be patient. And yeah. so we keep checking it and checking it. And uh, it was just an awful crop that year because it, you know, it just was poor, poor growing conditions and stuff. So similar to 88 with the drought, but on the other end, 93 right, right. was just wet and just another year to sort of just survive. And then 2012, we had another drought. Yeah. Wasn't as bad in some of your no. areas, but some were it was still bad. Well, the corn varieties had improved so True. much that they could handle drought um, so much better than what they could in 88. And then, and now we don't, really hopefully we'll never see anything that bad again because uh stuff is more bred to to do that and so advances in in hybrid technology and and just genetics have have been so good to us and um something that that always bothers me is that going through school even remembering back to to junior high and um, reading about um some of the science that was going to get developed where we were going to have these this genetic breeding to eliminate pesticides so that the corn would be able to stave off with bt technology to stave off corn borer or corn rootworm or do some of the kinds of things that are now out today and then how it's being vilified and and then being mislabeled as oh farmers are using more chemicals that no they're not they're using so much less farmers used to go to the to uh, their supplier with their pickup truck and maybe even a big supply truck to go pick up their chemical. And now some days they go, they go with their motorcycle um, and, and pick up, you know, the three or four little bottles that they use. And so technology has just improved or maybe they're, they've gone more organic. So it's, it's things have changed there that for the better, I think, but um, the, the public John Q public just isn't perceiving that. You know, I think the way they should, or, or giving the farmer the recognition that he should be getting. So it's sad. I think it's an important thing that we've all thought is needed, and but struggled with over the years of how do we how do we tell our story and tell mm-hmm. tell everybody what you know exactly what you just said. You know, it's we're using less. We're we're being the scouting part of our job is to help manage 
use of the chemicals and right. pesticides, herbicides. Is it doesn't always pay to do those things. It shouldn't just be an automatic and that. Right. That's integrated pest management and yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Good. Thank you, Jeff, for your time. You're welcome. Yeah. Good we to always, see you guys. Yeah. We always appreciate. And hello it out there you. to all you uh, old uh, farmers that <laughs> yeah. I worked with and. Hope to see you again soon. No, it was a pleasure sitting down with you, and we appreciate you taking the time, sharing stories. And maybe I got back at you a little bit for all the embarrassing stories you'd make me share at the company <laughs> Christmas party a little bit. But there you go. It can <laughs> never be enough of those, Matt. No, I mean, no, no. Sorry, just go on and on. That would be <laughs> Jeff fun. and I are both good sports. We should do that. I have Plinsky interview you. Matt. <laughs> there you that go. would be. A, uh, I like this. Next Matt, time we'll give him time. We give him time to get his questions right. Yeah. Yep. Not yep. on the spot. No. It's, and all kidding aside, Matt has come a long ways from. Everybody has. <laughs> I've come a long ways from. You know where you are, and everybody learns and gets better. But no, we appreciate you being here with us today. Thanks for being here, all of everybody, and. Thanks for welcoming us into your beautiful house here. It's it's great to be here in North Carolina to visit and and see you. And I hope everyone out there enjoyed the episode. Listening to Jeff tell his stories from all his years as an agronomist in Northeast Wisconsin. And as always, thanks for listening and happy farming.